Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Happy New Year! We trust one of your resolutions this year is going to be to read the Bible through in its entirety, which helps us build a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ as we read His Word. And He's the one who gives us hope in this age and the age to come. That hope comes in many forms. We hope this year to have a new and positive dream or many dreams that can be achieved. Sometimes we hope for better bonds with family and friends. Certainly, I hope that our hope is in a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ this coming year. And of course, the greatest hope of all is that maybe Jesus will return this year. Wouldn't that be something? In anticipation of his glorious return, whenever that may be, we've been learning about him and all that takes place before he returns as we've been studying the book of Revelation. After all, this book is all about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus can be seen reaching out to the lost, having the gospel shared so that people will have one final opportunity to experience that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because of that, God, after his long-suffering patience with a sinful world, has shown us the horrific tribulation that will occur upon those who have not believed. You would think that by reading this book, people would see the horrible changes that are going to take place and want to turn to Jesus today, but it's not happening. As we continue our study in Revelation, God's final wrath is going to be unleashed. The worst unimaginable tragedies and suffering that this world has ever seen, it's going to happen on those who reject Jesus Christ, his love and his hope. I'm Debbie Blank, encouraging you to pay attention because the wrath of God is coming soon and you want to make sure that you're not going to be experiencing it. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. It's always great to begin a brand new year with brand new resolutions and we always do that with the best of intentions. But then why do we often end up disappointed? Well, none of us is perfect and unforeseen circumstances happen to all of us. If we only knew ahead of time what's ahead in the future, we could avoid those pitfalls. Well, the book of Revelation does tell us what's going to happen in the future and warns us of the horrible pitfalls for anyone living during the tribulation. There is only one way to avoid the horror that lies ahead, and that's by repenting and accepting the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. As we study Revelation chapter 16, we see the time when all of God's outreach efforts to an increasingly defiant and blasphemous people have finally been exhausted. The final terrible judgment against all rebellious and unrepentant souls has come. The seven bowls of God's wrath are about to be poured out upon the earth. You said, Jackie, if we only knew the future. We do know the future. God loves us so much that he's told us what's going to happen. Now, most of the Bible is not written in a one, two, three, four, five time frame of everything that's going to occur. It's written instead with little tidbits in each of the books so that we can find Jesus and find out about the future. But when it comes to the book of Revelation, it is in fact 
written in a detailed timeline from beginning to end, starting in chapter six of Revelation as to what will happen during the seven years of tribulation. Yes, there's a few parentheses chapters in there, which gives us some details. But on the whole, you can just read Revelation and the future is right there. I think the problem we see in our world today is that people say, oh, yeah, well, that's what it says. But what does it really mean? And is this just idealistic in looking at what's happening? Or is it figurative? I don't really think it's going to happen this way. It's just an example of terror that's happened throughout the world, throughout the centuries. Well, that's not the facts. The facts are that this is the word of God. He has given us his information. He tells us things in a logical way so that we can understand them because he wants us to be prepared. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, when he was talking about future events, that we need to be prepared. We need to be on the alert and we need to be faithful. That can only happen if we look at what the Bible says. For the last 2000 years, God's been patiently waiting for this world to turn from sin and to turn from him. And we haven't done it. Some people think that our goodness as Christians will usher in God's kingdom on earth. But I think that the world has found out in the 2000 years since Jesus came that goodness will not prevail. There will always be a remnant of Christians who follow Jesus Christ. But we are sinners The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we wait for us to not become sinners, it's not going to happen. And Jesus knows that. So that's why he's coming again, as he promised. But when he comes, he's coming in judgment. His patience is over. He's given us the opportunity. And now it's time to bring his wrath upon an unbelieving world. So we start out in Revelation 16, verse 1 with the beginnings of the seven bowls. This is the final judgment. This is it from here on out. So in the first verse it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So here's the first angel, the first bowl in verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast, and who worshiped his image. So we had studied previously the people who took the mark of the beast, what the mark of the beast might be, um, and how it comes about. Now we see what appeared to be maybe a good idea at the time, because people would be able to buy and sell and live their lives and not be martyred. But now we see what happens as time goes on. And reading that, when you read the words loathsome and malignant sores, I'm thinking, Oh, my goodness, these people have this all over their bodies, and they are suffering now. Here as we see this bowl being poured out on the world, it's being poured out on mankind. Mankind has turned away from God. We have made ourselves our own gods. We are following our own resources, our own abilities. We think that we don't need God, so we've turned away from him as a world these days. Now, certainly there's always a remnant who follow Jesus Christ. But generally speaking, Christianity, which is the largest religion in the world, is turning away from God because so many of those who call themselves Christians are not followers of Jesus Christ. They just call themselves Christians because they go to a Christian church. 
So we see here that God is pouring his wrath first out on people. And speaking of wrath, let's go back to verse one, because he says he heard a loud voice from the temple. Well, that loud voice we talked about a few weeks ago and how that was a proclamation of something that was going to happen. And this is coming from someone within the temple. So someone who has direct access to God and maybe even God himself, though it does not tell us that. It tells us that God's prepared seven angels who are going to go pour out these seven bowls of the wrath of God. We've talked before about the wrath of God. Wrath is mentioned 12 times in the book of Revelation. There's two Greek words for wrath, orge and thumos. As we look at the thumos wrath of God, it's always been the orge wrath, God's mental wrath, ready to be poured out in this world. The first time we saw the Thumos wrath was in chapters 14 and 15, which were describing what we were going to see here. So this right here is the first time that we're actually seeing the ultimate wrath of God poured out on a sinful nation. So remember, we are in the middle of the tribulation. Satan has taken over. He has empowered the Antichrist to be the world leader. People are worshiping Satan. They're worshiping the Antichrist. They're taking the mark of the beast. They're worshiping the image of the Antichrist. They're blaspheming God. They've turned away from God. In chapter 15, we learned that the temple of God is now closed until the end of the tribulation period. So this is a time like the world has never seen before. In Matthew 24 and in Daniel 12, we are told that this time is so bad that the world has never seen anything like it before, nor ever will it be. And that's the wrath we're seeing as the first bowl is poured out. And, you know, it says that no one is mentioned as being saved from this point forward in Revelation. And what we have seen, as I've remarked several times about the remarkable grace of God that I've seen throughout Revelation But there comes a time when God has to, in order to be just and righteous and who he is, he has to punish sin. And so this is the time when he is going to totally destroy all of that. It's going to be destroyed and gone. Therefore, what he has to do is is act in this justice. He has to, to go into his act of wrath. And we'll see as we go along, no one repents. So it reminds me of Pharaoh where he hardened his heart and hardened his heart and hardened his heart to a point of no return. And I think that's where these people are now. Well, remember that we're made in the image of God. God wants us to turn to him. That's why he's given people who are walking through the tribulation every opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ because he is patient, but his patience is over. Man turned against him in the Garden of Eden, even though they were made in his image. And it's never changed since then. The remnant has turned our hearts to God, but much of the world has not. I think maybe Jesus is pouring out this bowl onto mankind to show us that he's the one in control, not us. These people are going to be in a situation where they cannot control what happens to them. When this boil is poured out onto the earth, that loathsome and malignant sore that comes upon mankind, it's going to be destructive. Remember, this is malignant. Malignant means you'll die from it. We go back to the time when the strange creatures were coming up on the earth and biting people, giving them sores. 
the unbelievers were wreathing in agony, but they couldn't die. Now it says the sore is malignant because of the mark. And so perhaps they will be dying in this. And remember, it's only those people who took the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. So perhaps it's a natural occurrence because there could be something in the mark of the beast that causes this. For example, right now you can have a mark put in your wrist, like kind of a little chip that looks like a size of a piece of rice with all of your detailed information on it. That's empowered by lithium. Lithium is empowered by heat and we have heat on our wrist and on our foreheads. So perhaps something like this will be created maybe by lithium or maybe with some other energy source that will turn out to be cancerous and will cause this malignancy. Or maybe this is just God doing a supernatural act. Remember that as we look at these bold judgments, we're seeing a lot of similarities to the plagues in Egypt that you mentioned. In this particular one, it's similar to the sixth plague. This was when, according to Exodus 9:9, that the fine dust went all over the land of Egypt and became boils which broke out as sores on men and beasts throughout all of Egypt. And the magicians couldn't stop it. They couldn't change it, but God allowed it. What's interesting about that plague is the five previous plagues in Egypt were kind of natural occurrences. Certainly they were supernatural because God caused them, but it was just nature that took its course. For example, you had the blood turning the river Nile. So then the frogs jumped out of the river and they covered up the land. Well, then the frogs died. And what happens? Lots of lice was produced because of the dead frogs. Lice then produce flies. That was the fourth plague. And then finally, the flies got on the cattle and killed the cattle because of the disease of the flies. So those first five kind of have a system that they go to. But the sixth plague started the supernatural plagues, which were not natural at all. So the sixth supernatural plague of Egypt is very similar to the very first bowl being poured out here. I think it is very interesting to see the parallels as we go on. They're going to continue the parallels between Moses in Egypt and the plagues. And then in this last time of the tribulation, we have Jesus and God uh, pouring out the wrath through the angels. And I think back to chapter 15, where we had the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb, and it kind of sets up that parallel. And so we have Moses, the deliverer of God's people at that time, and then Jesus, the deliverer of his people at this time. That's right. And that's what we were told back in the Old Testament, that there would be another deliverer, and we know that to be Jesus Christ. So yes, very similar circumstances from that to this. Well, with that, let's look and. Revelation 16, 3, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. Well, here again, you have a correlation to a plague, the first plague in Egypt in Exodus 7, where the water of the river Nile was turned to blood. Here you have the waters in the sea that are turned to blood. Is this real blood? Was the Nile real blood? Well, it's hard to say because there are situations that can occur, such as the Fiesteria plague, which is known as the red tide, which oftentimes comes upon the sea because of the algae in the sea. 
We've had it along the east coast of the United States numerous times and in the Gulf of Mexico. It kills lots of fish. I mean, hundreds of thousands of fish because of the pesticide that's involved in that. So it could be something like that. It actually, this fisteria boils fish, so they automatically die. It's a hundred times more toxic than cyanide is. So it could be a natural occurrence like that, which could be a result of all the catastrophes and the earthquakes and probably nuclear blasts and things that are going to happen during the tribulation period. Or it could be God working his supernatural power. And where does this happen? It happens in the sea. If you're familiar with the four elements of the world, that's the earth, the water, the fire, and the air. Well, we had the earth when the first bowl was poured out on man, on the people that gave them a sword. Now we have it poured out on water. We will later see how fire and air are brought into this also. This also resembles the second trumpet. We see a correlation between the plagues and the trumpets and these bowl judgments. In the second trumpet judgment from Revelation 8, 8, and 9, it talks about how a great mountain falls to the earth and that a third of the seas, a third of the creatures, and a third of the ships are destroyed. Is that the same as this? No, it's not because of the timing in Revelation and also because this is all of the sea, not a third of it, but everything and every living creature in the sea died. Where do we get most of our food? We get it from the sea. And yet all the fish, all the salmon, everything we eat is going to be destroyed. It's interesting that when the waters are destroyed like that and all the living things are destroyed, you talked about that being the parallel with the element of water and the different elements, the the earth and the water and the air and the fire. And those things are things that pagans have always worshipped. They've worshipped the elements, and we worship the Creator. When we go back to Exodus, one of the things that the plagues did was they showed up and outperformed the gods of Egypt. And so here's kind of the same thing here is the Creator is going to have control over all of these elements. I'm glad you mentioned that because it makes me realize God is sovereign. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all, not the gods of Egypt or the gods of this world, but the God of the Bible. Well, now we look in verse four of Revelation 16, that says, and the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. What's the timing of this? How quickly does this happen after the second bowl is poured out? We don't know. What we do know is it takes three and a half years for all these things to happen. So there could be a period of time where there is some fresh water because the rivers are what pour their water into the seas. That we don't know, but we do know it will happen. Again, very similar to the second bowl judgment. Also very similar to the third trumpet judgment, which showed that a star called Wormwood fell into the springs and the rivers and made it toxic. They became poisonous, bitter, and many died from that, according to Revelation chapter 8. Also, of course, we go back to the first plague with the water and the blood. It's going to be a devastation when we can't have water. I understand that it takes about eight days before a person will die from not having any fresh water to drink. So once this happens, people are going to be dying in force 
because they will not have anything to drink. Makes me wonder if, as we see in the movie, The Ten Commandments, where the jar ended up having bloody water in it, we wonder if the wine or the bottled water that we have or the things that we have right now will turn to blood also, not just the rivers and the seas. So moving along to verse 5, it says, And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. I am so impressed that as these judgments are coming down, the righteousness of our Almighty God is being confirmed from heaven. Other voices are confirming that this is right and this is just and it is fair. It's not vengeance. It's just the natural consequences of their sin and their refusal to turn to God. So that's been confirmed in these next verses. Amen to that. Do you realize that in the book of Revelation, there are only three chapters that don't talk about God? Chapters 8 and 9 and then chapter 18 that's talking about destruction. Every other chapter focuses at some point on the attributes of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and on God who sits on the throne in heaven because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here we are brought in again in the worst possible scenario that this world has ever experienced and yet Jesus is worshipped as well he should be. You are righteous, O Lord, O Holy One, That is who Jesus Christ is. The question is, do we see him that way? In verse 7, they said, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Is that how we feel? I heard recently of a woman who got drunk and caused a major situation that hurt a lot of people. And she got mad at God because he allowed that to happen. Well, wait a minute. There's a judgment. There's a consequence in life for making the wrong decisions in our lives. So we have to take responsibility for those. But God is going to eventually judge those people who don't turn to him. And we can't blame him. We've had every opportunity to turn to him. So this again reminds us of how just God is. As we turn now to verse 8, we see the fourth bowl. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun. And it was given to it to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and did not repent so as to give glory to God. Here we have that element of fire that we see that matches very closely with the fourth trumpet in Revelation 8. There the sun was darkened. Here it's scorching people with terrible heat. So when we're talking about the element of fire, and the sun is scorching people in Revelation, it reminds me of the verse in Malachi, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, actually. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Doesn't that sound like the prophecy of what we're seeing unfold here in Revelation? And did you notice their response? They blasphemed God. 
They didn't turn to God. They didn't believe in him. They didn't ask for his help. They blasphemed him. They cursed him. They speaking irreverently, uttering profanities against God. As you said earlier, nobody's being mentioned as being saved as these seven bowls are poured out. We can see why right now they are so hardened in their hearts against God that they have turned from him and they're not going to turn back. Then we have the fifth bowl in Revelation 16, 10 and 11. It says, and the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they didn't repent of their deeds. Are we seeing something similar here? Yes, we are. And that's the reaction of people to God and to what he's doing. Here we have the throne of the beast that this angel is pouring the bowl on. It's become darkened. Who is the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world. Who's been acting like he's the king of kings? And that's Satan. But he does not have this power. The fourth trumpet talked about that in Revelation 8, when it talked about a third of the sun and the moon and the stars were struck so that they became darkened. But this is all dark. And it's obviously more than just darkness because they gnawed their tongues in pain. I've never heard of those people in Alaska gnawing their tongues from the pain of darkness. So this is totally different. God is in control. He's pouring his supernatural judgments out on the Antichrist, just as he did on Pharaoh. The Antichrist will be destroyed. God is going to be the victor. As we're talking about this throne of the beast, I'm reminded of Isaiah 59, 9 and 10, which reads, Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. That's what it's going to be like at the throne of the beast and all that are in his kingdom when the world becomes darkened, when God takes his light out of the world. That is the last bold judgment that we see that deals directly with the elements of the earth and the throne of the beast. Next week, we're going to get into talking about the battle of Armageddon and the destruction of Babylon the Great, the final destruction of this world, the earth and the people in it, which is just a further reminder of how the wrath of God is progressing during this timetable and will continue until it's done and until Jesus Christ reigns. We are so grateful that in the midst of this horrible thumos wrath of God, that God's love and his hope are still there. He has poured it out, given everyone an opportunity until now, until this thumos wrath for people to turn to him. And we can do it now. It's not too late. While his justice demands punishment over sin, his mercy is opening his arms towards us right now. He's giving us hope. The time is coming when all this is going to happen, but it hasn't started yet. We can still put our hope in Jesus Christ until that time when the rapture takes place, we can turn to Jesus. Even afterwards, there will be a time, but boy, it's going to be a tough time for everyone that goes through that. It's time to turn to Jesus as our Lord and Savior today. He will give us the strength and direction in whatever happens in this world. 
and then he's going to give us hope and salvation for all eternity. Turn to Jesus before it's too late because there is nothing in the world like the wrath of God that's going to be poured out and we don't want you to experience that. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.